Hey there, and welcome to another edition of the In Layman's Terms podcast. I'm Steve Layman, voice of the Belmont Bruins and the sports anchor at News Channel 5. So glad to have you here with us once again as we get set for the NBA draft. And and let me tell you, this one's going to be fun because we're going to chat with Dylan Windler, star Belmont player, just four years ago, almost to the day, Drafted number 26 overall in the first round of the NBA draft by the Cleveland Cavaliers. And we're going to get into his draft night experience, what the moments were like leading up to getting selected, what the process was like. You got another Belmont Bruin going through that right now with Ben Shepard. What is Dylan's advice to Ben as he gets set for these final few days All of that's coming up on the podcast. Plus, we're going to talk about Dylan's career in the NBA, the injuries that have plagued him. I know that's been a huge frustration, but he's got a positive attitude about it. And I can tell you the confidence has never wavered. If we can get this guy healthy, and I think he's close this summer, if we can get him healthy next year, I think you're going to see the Dylan Windler that we saw at Belmont's and that so many people expected. We're going to talk to him about that journey. And of course, his time at Belmont as well, playing for Coach Bird, that incredible 2019 team that helped Coach Bird get his 800th victory and get to the NCAA tournament and win for the first time in his illustrious career. That was a dream come true moment. Certainly draft night was a dream come true moment as well. And we're going to talk about all that and much more here on the podcast with Dylan Winman. So sit back and enjoy this edition of the In Layman's Terms podcast. Well, I'd like to welcome into the podcast the one and only Dylan Windler, a former Belmont superstar now with the Cleveland Cavaliers in the NBA. Dylan, how are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you doing, man? Doing great. I'm no see. It is. It, ha- it has been a while, and I, I was just thinking about this. I mean, we are basically at four years since that moment where you heard your name called in the NBA draft, does it seem like it's been that long to you or as much as transpired since then, does it seem like it's been a lifetime ago? Man, it feels like, it feels like, uh, you know, it's gone by so quick, four years when you say that it's, it's kind of hard to believe. Uh, But, you know, there were some times where it was going fast and there's some times it was going slow, you know, going through COVID, um, in that time. And then when I had my surgery, my first year that, you know, that felt like it took forever, but then, you know, since then it's kind of been flying by and looking back and now it's been four years, you say, it's just, it feels like forever ago. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Can, can you take me back to that night? Where were you? Who was around? And if I've got this story told to me correctly, there were sort of multiple teams that were on the horn with your agent around the time. And so it was, <laughs> trying to figure out where exactly you would go. And then all of a sudden it's the Cavaliers. What was that moment like? Yeah. Draft night was awesome, man. It was a, it was a really great memory that I'll hold forever. Um, yeah, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty close in terms of, you know, just families, friends, teammates. Um, and then, you know, pretty, everybody that was pretty close to me at that time. So uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't really have any intentions of going to, you know, to the draft or any, anything like that. I kind of wanted to, keep it close with the family and friends and just kind of do a little intimate night and kind of everybody just enjoy it. So, uh, yeah, man, it was a lot of nerves, a lot of joy that night. You know, I wasn't really sure 
you know, going into the night, I really had no idea where I was going to go. Um, you know, you see mock drafts and stuff and you see people saying you're going to go here and here, but you really have no idea uh, until it happens. So, yeah, I remember that night, uh, probably a couple hours before the draft, my agent called me and uh, told me the Warriors were very, very interested. At, they had the 28th pick, I think. Uh, and he said, you know, they're, you know, 95% kind of locked in on you. Uh, and that was a couple hours before the draft started. So, you know, that was kind of crazy to hear. Um, you know, it's kind of the first word I had gotten about a team, you know, willing to pick me. Um, and then I remember in between that and the draft, you know, he said the Clippers are calling. They're trying to trade up and get you. I think they ended up trading up to 27. Uh, so he said they were interested in me at 27. I think they would have picked me at 27. And then, you know, it was only like five minutes before I got picks uh, at 26 is when he called me and said, you know, Cleveland's going to take you at 26. Uh, so it was kind of a whirlwind of a night, you know, I thought, you know, I was going to be going to the Warriors 28 and then Clippers called 27 and then Cleveland ended up picking me at 26. Uh, so it was awesome though. You know, it was just good having, having everybody close to me, all my family and friends and, and teammates there kind of just rooting me on all the people that, you know, helped me get to that spot. Um, man, but yeah, I, I remember that night pretty vividly. Now, did you have like all 32 NBA hats there with you just in case or, or, or how'd that work for the moment when you finally got the call? No, I, I didn't have any hats actually. So I just, yeah, I just, you know, I, I wasn't too prepared. I was just kind of going with the flow and Cleveland ended up picking me. And I remember um, I got the phone call from my agent right before the pick. And then after the pick, uh, the GM called me and head coach, I mean, Beeline at the time called me and uh, just, you know, you know how it goes on draft night, kind of giving their congratulations, excited to see you. And then, um, you know, I hung out with my friends that night and then I took a plane to Cleveland the, the next morning and did some media there. So, well, you certainly had some whiplash in the moments leading up to the selection and trying to figure out, okay, saying this, now they're saying this, and now this is happening. But going through the entire process, as you're going through the workouts, you mentioned some of the, the draft boards and mock drafts. I was talking with Ben Shepard last week, and he says, I haven't paid attention to a single one of them. I, I just don't want to hear it. W were you in that camp, or did you, you salivate and look for all that information? Or, or how did you approach the mock drafts and all the prognostications that are out there? Yeah, you got to take all those with a grain of salt, man. Um, you know, those people that make those mock drafts, they aren't at these workouts. You know, they, they can see the combine and stuff. But, you know, you're going through 10 or more workouts post-combine before the draft. So those workouts are really what mean a lot. I mean, I had a good workout in Cleveland. I had a good workout uh, with the Warriors. And those were the two teams that ended up being interested in me. Uh, those were probably two of my best workouts that I had uh, with those teams. So those those workouts really mean a lot when – because, you know, that's really the first time that those those GMs, those coaches get to see you up close and personal and see you in a competitive, structured environment that that they set up. So, um, you know, these people making these drop these mock mock drafts, they don't get to see these workouts. They don't get to see what's going on, on the inside. Uh, you know, they see your stats. They get to see kind of what your numbers were at the combine, which, you know, is all helpful. But there's really no way to to make an accurate mock draft. It's kind of just for the fans and and for the viewers more so and kind of, you know, it's, it's fun to look at that stuff, but you got to take it with a grain of salt and know that, you know, those people that are making those aren't, aren't the ones that are going to be making picks. So at the end of the day, it's, you know, the GMs that are going to be making the picks. So. Well, Dylan, I have to imagine that was a dream come true night for you to hear your name called, especially where it was. And for so many people back here in Nashville, 
it was a dream come true as well because of what it meant for Belmont. As you know, it's a school and Coach Bird's reputation precedes himself. People understand what Belmont basketball is all about in terms of winning and playing basketball the right way and the offensive genius that Coach Bird is. But it never quite had that reputation at the NBA level. Obviously, Ian Clark won a championship with the Warriors. But when it comes to draft night, did it mean anything extra to you to not just be a draft pick from Belmont University, but to be the 26th overall pick in the first round from Belmont University? Yeah, for sure. No, I take a lot of pride in, in where I came from and, you know, how I got to this point. Uh, I took a lot of a different path than a lot of people, um, you know, most people consider Belmont a smaller school, smaller Division One program, um, you know. And I take pride the way I, the way I, you know, grew as a player and as a person in those four years. And um, you know, I obviously always had a goal of, you know, playing at the highest level. But I, you know, I just kind of took it year by year, day by day, practice by practice, and just try to get better. And um, you know, I think that's the mo most important thing uh, you should do as a player is just try to get yourself better and better. And at the end of the day, you kind of just see where it takes you. Um, and then, you know, late in my junior year and all along my senior year, you start to have scouts and coaches coming to practice and uh, watching you. And then it kind of gets a little bit more real and that motivates you a little bit even more. But, yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way, man. Um, you know, I had bigger schools come in at the end and, you know, try to get me to come, you know, transfer and, and all that. But like I said, I I wouldn't have it any other way staying at Belmont and finishing out my four years there and uh, just kind of being uh an example for guys to know that you can you can get to the highest level you know playing at any school you know there's guys that are played d2 that transferred d1 and now we're you know starting the nba finals like you you can get there as long as you work hard and uh create your own path um i don't think it really matters what school you go to um you know scouts they're so good these days they're going to find you wherever you're at if you're if you're a good player so um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I could represent Belmont in that, in that, uh, 2019 draft and hopefully, you know, Ben this year, obviously he's doing really well this summer. Um, you know, I'm rooting for him and hopefully he can be another one to add to the program. Yeah. Have you talked to him at all? And, and what do you think about him? And I, I mean, honestly, Dylan, I've seen a couple mock drafts taken with a grain of salt. I know I'm following your advice there. But I, I saw one last week that had him 19th. Is, is there any competitiveness there that you want him to go a slot or two behind you? Or if, if he beats your <laughs> record, would you be okay with that? No, I'd be totally okay with that. Let's let's just try to keep moving up the ranks. Hopefully, you know, one day we'll have a lottery pick and go from there. So, you know, Belmont's just going to keep on getting better and better. But, uh, no, I, ha I haven't had a chance to talk to him, uh, but I've been following uh, everything he's doing, you know, on social media and stuff. You know, I watched some of his combine stuff. Uh, watched him play and some of his highlights and some of his interviews from some of his workouts. So it seems like he's killing it, man. I'm I'm more than happy for him and, and proud of him. You know, I think he's one of those guys too that kind of just trusted the process and kind of stuck uh, and just kept working hard. And, and obviously he stayed at Belmont all four years. I'm sure he had opportunities to go elsewhere, but uh, just kind of stayed true to himself as a player and as a person and just kind of grinded it out. And, you know, look where he's at now. You, you said he's on mock draft boards at 19. Like who would have thought, you know, he'd been there two years ago and he just kept getting better as a player. And, you know, like I said, it can, you're not really sure where it can take you, but you just kind of keep your head down. And now he's, he's at that biggest stage. 
he, he certainly had opportunities if he wanted to, to move on from Belmont in the NIL era. And he elected to step and be the star and be the guy who helped lead this transition into the Missouri Valley conference. You were a little bit before the NIL era. That wasn't really on your table just a few years ago. That's how much the landscape has changed in a way. Are you happy? That's the case that that wasn't a part of the landscape you, you were in on or, or how do you view NIL now? Yeah, it's tough, man. It's, uh, you know, I'm glad I didn't have to make tough decisions in that, in that, um, you know, how it is today. You know, you got these teams, you're offering you X amount of dollars here and there, you know, and that's real money. And I get it for kids that are, you know, uh, 20, 21 years old, you know, that's real money that can, you know, help them and help their families. So I get it. It's, it's really tough decisions um, when you're presented that those type of offers at such a young age. But, um, you know, there's a lot that comes with that. You know, you're not, you're not really sure where you're going to stand in that program when you get there. You know, it might not be everything they, they you know, wrote it up to be for you. It's not, it's not all rainbows and roses on the other side. So it's like he knew where, same with me, you know, I knew where I was in the program at Belmont. Ben knew where he was. You know, he's going to be in a position to, you know, keep growing, getting better as a player. You know, you're going to get the minutes. You're going to get the shots. Uh, you've kind of earned that you know, through your first two or three years. So, you know, that's how I viewed it is, you know, uh, I think it's much more of a risk, you know, transferring after your third year and playing somewhere for a year or two where you're not sure, you know, what type of role you're going to have, you know, they can promise you all these things, but, you know, at the end of the day, you never really know till you get there. So yeah. it can hurt a lot of people's careers. I think that's great advice because I've heard so many stories and honestly, they're horror stories when you think about them, Dylan, where guys are getting promised this, to mm -hmm. go to a school and then when they get there they find out the scenario is just completely different than that and then all of a sudden you're playing a season and you're trying to prove yourself to the nba and uh, you're probably disgruntled because you you were not totally given the full story up front you're maybe not playing as much as you want or getting the shots you want uh, to me that just sounds like the worst possible scenario yeah yeah it can be bad for a lot of kids and you know it's it stinks and it can hurt a lot of people's careers, not only college, but, you know, the professional careers moving forward. So, you know, I think it's always best to get in, uh, get into a position where you've earned your spot. Uh, you're, you trust, you know, you're, you're comfortable with your coaches, you trust your coaches, you've earned their respect. Um, and that's going to ultimately put you in the best position. You know, I think you see guys transfer because they think the grass is greener on the other side and maybe they got some money and that's part of it too with the NIL and NIL now, but, you know, and then they're stuck there and then, you know, they're trying to get out of that place to go somewhere else. And it kind of just, you know, it's a never ending cycle at that point. And that can ultimately it's going to hurt your career if you're just bouncing. You know, you don't want to be seen as one of those guys that's just bouncing around school to school. So. Back to Ben real quick. I think he just wrapped up his 12th or maybe it's his 13th workout. Now, you know how it goes in this process. But as he prepares for draft night in just a few days. If there was one piece of advice you could give them for these final days and even hours, what would it be? Oh, the biggest piece of advice, I would probably just tell him to enjoy it, man. Just, you know, you only go through this process one time in your life. And, you know, looking back to where I am now, I wish I just kind of would enjoy the process more. Just kind of went into these workouts a little bit, you know, it's hard to say, but a little bit more relaxed, um, you know, because it can be stressful, man. You're going from workout to workout. Uh, a lot of expectations, a lot of eyes on you at all times. You know, you're going through all these interviews and it can be stressful. It can be a lot mentally. So the biggest advice I would have for him is just try and slow down, 
uh, kind of take a, take a back seat and, and just kind of enjoy the whole process because it only happens once. You only go through this pre-draft process once and it really is a blessing to be able to do it. And, um, you know, it's something that you're going to look back and, and uh, you know, be happy that you're able to do and just hope it was the time that you remembered as something that you enjoyed and rather than something that you were just stressed out the whole time and it was kind of eating you alive. So it seems like, um, you know, he's the type of guy that's enjoying it um, and, and handles that pretty well. I'm pretty sure he, he can handle that stress pretty well, but he seems very relaxed and poised. Um, so it seems like he's doing great. Well, we know he's smiling. That's for sure. Yeah, ben, is, yeah. <laughs> ben is always smiling no matter what's going on. And, and I'm curious, back to the days when you were big man on campus and the star, and here comes Ben Shepard on a recruiting visit. Do you have any recollections of that first meeting? And what was it like seeing that guy? And what, what did you think? Um, I'm not sure if I crossed paths with him too much when I was there. Um, I think I maybe saw him briefly on his visit, but I don't know if I remembered to get to hang out with him much uh, or really even play with him when he was on his visit. So I don't remember it too much, but I remember, you know, even these last couple summers, um, you know, I got to know him a little bit more just as me going back to school and working out with him in the summer, whether it's playing pickup with the with the team um, every now and then. So I got to know him more these last few years versus um, in those early days when I was still at Belmont. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't I don't think I crossed paths him too much uh, when he was when he was visiting. You said you're cheering for him, and and we all are for him to go as high as humanly possible here. What is it like now in NBA circles? I, I mentioned Ian, world champion. You've been successful going high in the draft. Now Ben's going to follow. You got Drew Hanlon out there, who's one of the best NBA trainers, maybe the best NBA player trainer out there in a lot of ways. Coach Bird's well-known. What's it like now with Belmont sort of – getting this niche for being a an NBA producer now yeah no it's cool to see um you know yeah like you said Drew and then Ian kind of paving the way those are two guys that kind of uh put us on the map a little bit in terms of uh Belmont and the NBA and you know me being able to get drafted and now seeing Ben with where he's at it's just um you know it's going to continue to happen because we got such a good program you got you got a lot of good guys uh, and players coming out of this program, it's only a matter of time till you start to see these type of players um, get drafted or whatever. Uh, you know, there's going to be guys that have a lot of success in future. So, you know, I'm glad I could be, you know, one of the first guys uh, to put us on the map in a way um, in terms of NBA and draft or whatever. But, you know, there's going to be a lot of guys in the future that continue to do this type of stuff. So it's only the beginning uh, for Belmont. Dylan, what was the moment, whether before or at Belmont, that you thought this NBA dream of mine, it could actually happen? Yeah, I mean, I, I really didn't believe it for quite a few years, man. Um, I would say it wasn't until really my my senior year till there was, you know, all these scouts in here, all like pretty much every practice, there was some type of scout in here. Uh, and then you have all the agents chirping in your ear. Um, and then, you know, once I found my agent and really – dove into my pre-draft stuff and um, got an idea of where I could fall. That was really until that's really when it got uh, real for me. Um, so, yeah, I, it took me a while to realize uh, how good I can be and how far I could go professionally. When you looked around at your options going into college, you could have gone to a bigger school. You could have transferred to a bigger school at some point. 
what was the process for you in picking Belmont and sticking with Belmont? Yeah. Um, yeah, I had a good high school career, uh, but never really won any big, you know, state championships or big tournaments. So I, I wanted to go to a place first and foremost where I was going to have be a, a chance to win championships, have a chance to make it to the NCAA um, and Belmont obviously fit all those those check marks and had a winning tradition. You had, a, you know, you had a legendary coach that you knew was going to be there. Uh, so you had that stability. And then, you know, visiting campus and meeting with the guys, um, it just kind of really felt like a great fit for me. And obviously it ended up being a great fit. But yeah, first and foremost, I wanted to go to a winning program uh, that had a, a, a good track record. And um, I want to have a chance to make it to the NCAA. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, Belmont, obviously their campus speaks for itself and location and everything. And obviously I still live in Nashville today. So uh, yeah, it's an awesome spot. So, yeah. How did you fall in love with this city while you were here? Uh, well, it being only four hours from home, it was a good distance to start out. Um, but I fell in love probably with just how much there was to do, uh, how, how many things you could, you know, you have 12 South and you're, you're right downtown from the Gulch and downtown Broadway. And not that, you know, that's all what I'm into, but just like so many things you can do here. And then the topography of Nashville, you know, you can go on hikes within like 15, 20 minutes. Um, and then you got the Titans, the Predators. There's just a lot going on. And I could tell it was an upcoming city. Um, so, and, you know, the weather's great. Uh, so I think it's just a, an awesome city all around. I think a lot of people who are listening to this probably agree with that statement. Yeah. Everyone on this who's listening to you talk as well, loves coach bird and, and what he means as a man and what he's meant as a coach to Belmont. I'm sure we could probably talk for an hour, Dylan, if we wanted to just about coach bird and his stories, but let's boil it down. You know, people know him for the 800 plus wins. People know him for the sweater vests. They know him the offensive genius. I think he's the king of a baseline out of bounds play, but if you had to boil it down to like one or two things that he imparted to you, that made you the player you are today, what would they be? Uh, I mean, his competitiveness, for sure. I mean, I was already a competitive player going into college, but seeing how competitive he was uh, and he'd been doing it for so long and still had that passion to try and win each and every game, um, you know, that really stuck out to me, um, you know, being around for so long and still having that passion to just try and win each and every game, no matter what, if it was in the Ohio Valley, you know, big games, obviously, but every little game, he just hated to lose. Uh, and that really stuck with me. Uh, but then just how he treats you as a person, very down to earth, uh, always willing to talk. Uh, you can come in his office, talk to him at any time. And we had a lot of good conversations. So uh, probably just competitiveness and, uh, you know, how he treated his players and everybody around him. Is he more competitive in the gym or on the golf course, Dylan? Mm. <laughs> That's tough. That's tough. Probably now that he's retired, he's a little bit more mellow on the course. But, uh, man, he he's competitive. We played – ping pong matches we play tennis yeah uh and it's it's the same pretty much about everywhere you go he's he's trying to kick your butt no matter what <laughs> yeah i played tennis with him one time i think he sort of pulled up lame but he would he was still going hard the entire time yeah. he wouldn't give you any points for free that's just how coach bird is yeah i remember the first day i moved into campus going in my freshman year summer 
I think I had a, a tennis racket or something. He saw that I was moving in with that. And he literally, I think it was an hour later after I moved in, he's like, picked me up and took me straight to the tennis courts. He wanted to play like immediately. And we played the first day I literally got on campus. I uh, had a match with Coach Bird and he did beat me. So. Wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, he's tough, man. He He's, he's legitimately <laughs> one of the best competitors at anything that I, I have know. seen out there for sure. Uh, speaking of him, you were a part of the team that got him over the, over the 800 plateau. You were also part of that team that won him his first NCAA tournament as an at-large bid back in 2019. Being a part of those two milestones for him, what did that mean to you? It's special, man. Uh, obviously, he's had a very uh, successful career, uh, a lot of accomplishments, a lot of accolades, um, but to be able to get – you know, that 800th win for him, that milestone, uh, and then his first NCAA tournament win, I think that's the thing, you know, that's kind of completed his career uh, is getting that win in the NCAA tournament. Obviously, we wanted more, but, you know, he's gotten there so many times and, and been so close to getting that first win. So to be able to be a part of that team that helped him accomplish that and kind of polish off his uh, his coaching careers is special. And, I'm, you know, I think the more I age and looking back on that, it's only going to be continue to be more special. Some of the stories about that week of the NCAA tournament are pretty crazy from finding out you're in to getting to Dayton in a heartbeat, playing that game, beating Temple, the overnight flight to Jacksonville, nearly beating Maryland in round two. What stands out to you the most about those few days? Oh, man, probably just enjoying it with the team and, and the guys. You know, obviously, we weren't really expecting to get in the tournament that year. Uh, our, my senior year, we lost to Murray in the championship game, and we were all kind of just down for, you know, we were one of the first tournaments to end. So, you know, we have a week until they have the selection show. So, you know, we're still practicing because, we you know, we figured we'd get an NIT or something. So we're still practicing. But, you know, the energy was definitely down in the building. Guys, you know, you could tell didn't want to be there some days. We were kind of just ready to be done. And then we had that selection show and, you know, we all show up to watch. But, you know, with very low expectations that our name's going to get called. Um, and then, you know, it was I think it was a little over halfway through the selection show. They call our name and man, it was just like. I, you know, I felt like I was going to black out and just have so much excitement, man. It was just so unexpected. And to get to experience it with those guys, you know, Kevin, um, you know, four years with him, we were roommates and we never got to the tournament. And then to be able to hear our names called in that fashion, uh, it was, you know, it's a memory I'll never forget. We went to the locker room and I think we blared music for probably 30 minutes and just kind of jumping around as a team going crazy. And uh, it's just so, so much excitement. And then to have a quick turnaround and play that game in Dayton and get that win. Um, it's just, man, it's one of the greatest feelings. Uh, I'll definitely never forget that. It was so um, cool to be courtside there for that experience and to watch you guys celebrate it. It's just a testament to what that team was and and how special that group of guys was. And uh, you mentioned that championship game in the OVC final. I, I mean, the, the amount of star power on both sides of the court of yeah. guys who are playing professionally somewhere, cashing checks, who are starring in that game was unbelievable. Yeah, man, it's two really, really good teams. I think, you know, if we're in that position with that team we had any other year, you know, I think we're walking into the championship and, you know, winning it pretty easily. But obviously you had Murray those uh, the last two years with uh, Stark my junior year and then 
you know, having Ja doing what he did uh, his sophomore year, you know, it was a battle and, you know, they got the end of it. They got, uh, they got us both those games, but yeah, we had a really good team. You know, Austin Luke still playing, uh, having a good career overseas, Amanze, uh, Kevin. So um, Moose is playing, Grayson's playing overseas now. So yeah, we had a lot, we had a lot of really good players that are still playing today. So um, yeah, I mean, that's what you want as a competitor. You want to play against the best and we had some really good battles, but you know, I'm glad we were able to, in the end, both make it to the tournament that year. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was great for the league at the time and certainly great for the two programs. How much do you, are you able to keep up with Belmont now? And obviously Casey's in charge and, and back and doing a great job. How much have you followed the transition to the Missouri Valley and where the program is right now? Yeah, I, uh, I tried to catch as many games as I could this past year. Um, as you know, they played in the, or the NVC for the first time. They did really well. You know, I watched – I'd say I watched over half the games they played and, um, you know, I tried to catch every game I could. And like I said, I live here in the summer, so I still get with the guys in the summer uh, when I can, you know, I work out at, at Belmont's facility and saw Casey the other day. Um, so I try to keep up with these guys as much as possible and just kind of be around the team. Uh, it's a little different now. I'm, a lot of unfamiliar faces for me being four years removed. So there's a lot of new guys um, that I got to get to know, but, yeah, it's awesome, man. I love being around Belmont, and I live right up the street, so I'm always over there. How many hours would you have spent in Crockett if it was around while you were playing? Yeah, it would have been dangerous. They might have needed to put some bunk beds in the locker room because that place is sweet, man. I would have been in there quite a bit. So, yeah, it, having the unlimited access for them, and I think they can get in there 24-7. So it's, it's a really awesome setup, and I think it's going to propel our program even further in the years to come. I don't know how often this happens, Dylan, but I've heard some stories that at, at, every once in a while, you'll be over there and your Cavaliers teammate and Nashville native Darius Garland might pop in. And so you got a couple Cavs on the floor. How unique has it been that you played here? Darius grew up here, obviously, had the one season that was injury plagued at Vanderbilt. But like, what did you know of him going into draft night a few years ago? And what's it been like now the four years since? Yeah, I uh, I first met Darius uh, actually I think when he was at BA probably like freshman or sophomore he was he was real small I remember and they came to our team camps at Belmont in the summer and you know they would play against other high school teams locally and you know we're over there running the clock and stuff so that's the first time I actually got to see him play and you could tell he was a special player at that age he was just you know hasn't filled out and grown into his body but just very skilled could shoot the ball. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, we, we never like super close, but we were kind of acquaintances, knew each other. I think he came to a, a, the Belmont Vandy game, um, my junior or senior year and, and then going into draft night, getting drafted the same place, you know, we text each other immediately after and saw each other that next morning, immediate day, and just kind of clicked from there. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time together in season and, he lives in Nashville too. So we'll hang out, you know, every, every once in a while here and work out together here. So, you know, it's been a blessing to have somebody by your side, you know, locally that you've known for a while and kind of go through it all together. He's really become kind of a budding superstar in the league over these last few years. Dylan, for you, I mean, we're all just kind of knocking on wood, like give him, give him an 82 game season where he can just be healthy and fully yeah. do it. Uh, how frustrating has it been for you here? Because essentially you played what one full season by NBA games, just because of the, the hard luck injuries. 
Yeah, no, it's been very frustrating. You know, I tell a lot of people uh, the past four years, you know, a lot of people think it's, you know, um, it's all great and glorious and stuff, but it's, I'd probably say it's been the darkest three or four years of my whole life uh, being in the NBA. So, you know, injuries are very tough, especially when you're going through major uh, surgeries and stuff. It can be not only physically challenging, but just mentally, it'll kind of beat you down. Um, and yeah, it's just kind of unfortunate stuff. And that's the worst part of it all is it, uh, a lot of injuries are stuff that you really can't control at the end of the day. Um, you know, my first, the first major injury that I developed, uh, it was actually through the pre-draft and the stress fracture in my tibia, you know, that's kind of just something that kind of happened with, you know, overuse and overwork. And then, you know, it wasn't able to heal. So that I had to put a rod through my leg and into my tibia. And, you know, that was that, you know, that took 18 months, really two years to finally feel normal again. Um, and then, you know, so, so starting off on that footing and trying to, you know, make up that ground still battling through that stuff. Um, yeah, it was tough, man. A lot of, a lot of really dark days, but you know, I, I know I'm going to make it through it just because of my work ethic and, and who I am. Um, so, you know, I kind of just try to stay focused on each day and just attack each day and not try to get too riled up over the stuff you can't control because some of these injuries, man, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, you step on somebody's foot and, and roll an ankle real bad. It's just, it's freak stuff at the end of the day. So, you know, all you can focus on is, is getting better as fast as you can and just attacking the rehab and then getting right back to where you were. You're sitting next to a, a hydro chamber or whatever those fancy yeah. <laughs> is, which is probably never a good sign. But as you've gone through all this, what have you learned either about your body and what it what it takes in the NBA or or just about yourself? As you mentioned, this has been a tough time filled with adversity. What have you learned about yourself during this? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I would just say how much I how much adversity I can handle and and make it out the other side. Uh, you know, there's a lot of times where you just kind of want to be done with it and just kind of like get out of town and just like be done with it, man. But, um, you know, I kind of always just kept my head down and stayed, stayed loyal to the grind and found a way to get back. Um, and I think mentally I surprised myself with, you know, how much I could overcome and how much I can handle. Um, and just, you know, how de uh, dedicated I am to, to being the best version of myself that I can be. Um, like it, it just goes back to my competitive nature. I always want to be the best version and be the best player I can be. And so I'm just focused on, you know, trying to get back to whatever that is. So, yeah, I think I would probably say just the amount of adversity mentally and physically that I've been able to overcome and, and, and get back to where I was. I got multiple reports last summer, I think before you left of just, how good you looked at that moment going into the season. And then, of course, another injury pops up and, and derailed this past season. What's your confidence level like that at 100% when you get back out there this year that you can be the Dylan Windler you expect to be? Yeah, I have the utmost confidence in myself uh, when I'm healthy, no doubt. I mean, I came into training camp, like you said, I felt really good about where I was at. Um, and I turned a lot of heads in this last year's training camp. I mean, even after the first three years I had in Cleveland, I came into training camp, um, you know, in the best shape, um, sh shooting the crap out of the ball, uh, just playing really, really well. And, 
you know, our head coach was saying a lot of really good things, you know, saying I'm in the mix to be in the starting lineup. So, you know, when you hear stuff like that, uh, it gives you a lot of motivation and confidence to just keep going because, you know, you're eventually going to get that break and you're going to get to that point where, you know, you are playing 82 game season and you're feeling like you should and uh, you catch a break on the injury. So, you know, I just I'm just going to keep going because uh, I know there's light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, eventually, I'm going to catch that break and be the player that I know I am. I guess I, I should have asked at the beginning of this little segment. How do you feel now? Are, are you 100 percent now? How close are you? Yeah, I'm very close uh, to 100 percent. I had a little uh, foot sprain, like bone bruise at the end of the season that I'm just clearing up, but nothing major. So um, getting back on the court this month and ramping it up and, you know, I'll be 100 percent this this summer for sure, probably in the next month. So feeling really good. Well, let's keep that going. We're all rooting for that. That's for sure. This time where you haven't been able to be on the floor as much as you'd like, you talk about being hard, but as you sit back, has it made you more hungry? Are you more driven to succeed because of this? Yeah, I would say so. Uh, you know, sitting back and seeing guys on the sidelines and seeing guys succeed and knowing that, you know, given the same opportunity and, and uh, that you can be right there with those guys, you know, it's very motivating uh, to work even harder. So yeah, being on the sidelines can can obviously it's not where you want to be, but you can get a lot out of it if you if you stay in the right mindset. How much have you watched the NBA playoffs? And what do you think about the run that Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets went on? Yeah, they've been on a heck of a run this this playoff, but really the whole season. You know, I think they've been far and away the best team, best NBA team in the league this year, um, and they they showed that by dominating the regular season and continuing to dominate in the playoffs. You know, I think they got you know the best player second best whatever you want to say I think they got the best player in the league uh and then they got a really a lot of good pieces around them you got Jamal Murray back in you know his form after coming off injury and they got a really a lot of good pieces they play good defense and they they get good shots and they're efficient they know how to score the ball so uh you know that's a recipe for winning so you know I think what they play tonight uh you know I, I have them getting it done tonight in game five I don't know how much of an opinion you have on this but when they announced the expansion of the NBA playoffs a couple of years ago. I'll be honest, Dylan, I thought they were crazy because at that point in time, to me, the NBA playoffs, you almost didn't have to watch the first or second round, I thought, because the top teams had elevated themselves so much above everybody else that it seemed like you get to the conference finals and that was sort of where the playoffs really began. Boy, have they proved me wrong. Mm -hmm. You got the Heat as a play-in team all the way into the NBA finals this year, the first and second rounds were wildly competitive. Where do you think that shift has come in the last couple of years that have made it so much more competitive, you know, one or two through 16, 17, 20 in terms of depth in the league? Yeah, I think it just goes to show how good of a spot our league is in right now, just in terms of balance. And, you, you know, there's no, super teams or whatever that you know are going to be in the finals every year. Um, you know, the Heat have proven that, you know, anybody can get hot and go on a run deep in the postseason. So, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, the NBA and the playoffs are the best when, you know, anybody's got a chance to win it. And that's where it's been, you know, these past couple of years. So, um, you know, I, I think it'll continue to stay like that. Um, I just I think our league's in a really good place without balance it is. And um, just the level of talent across the board, you know, there's not a lot of really bad teams anymore. There's, you know, there's a few that are 
younger teams that kind of struggle in the beginning, but, you know, teams get good quick and kind of pop out of nowhere. And, you know, next thing you know, they're in the playoffs making a run. So, yeah, I think, I think uh, the league's in a really good spot. Well, it's been a lot of fun to watch this spring and all season long, and we're all excited to watch you get out there next year healthy and performing. Can't wait to see that. But, Dylan, I got three questions before we let you go, and we ask these to everybody who comes on the podcast because they're they're kind of blue sky, wide-ranging, that no matter who you are, I think they tell you a little bit more about who you are as the person. So we all know you as the star at Belmont and first round draft pick and, and player in the NBA. If you weren't living out this basketball dream right now, what would Dylan Windler be doing? Hmm. I think you probably already know this about me, but I'd probably be out on the golf course. Uh, yeah, man. I, in the summer, man, I love playing. You know, I try to get out two or three times a week. Uh, I just really enjoy the sport and being outside, but other than that, you know, I love to go fishing, hiking, a lot of outdoor stuff. So that's probably where I'd be spending my time. The the golfing thing, uh, it just brings up to me because it just happened over the weekend, the Nick Taylor putt in the playoff. Did you see that in the scene up there in Canada? Yeah, I did. That was, I, I can't imagine the feeling uh, he has being a Canadian winning that tournament in, in the fashion that he did. Um, and then his buddy getting – speared by the security guard yeah it's quite quite a video <laughs> it was like terry tate or whatever and like canadian ray lewis or something yeah. just smacking him right there so that was pretty amazing second question here dylan what inspires what is it that every morning when you wake up drives you to hit the gym early or keep going or you know whatever it is you're trying to accomplish that day what is it that really inspires you uh, probably my family, man. Um, just trying to be the best version I can, not only for myself, but for them too. Uh, you know, my mom's been a big impact in my life. Uh, she raised, uh, me and my sister, uh, for a good majority of our lives by herself. So, um, you know, she's always instilled that hard work ethic in me and, uh, you know, I look up to her and, and how much she's able to do and balance and juggle. And, um, yeah, she's instilled that work ethic in me. So I, I kind of want to you know, always prove her or, or, you know, do good by her. And, uh, you know, yeah. And then just everybody around me, I, you know, I think I have a really good friend group and stuff that pushes me and drives me to become better. So I think, you know, having that close circle by you and, and everybody wanting to strive for more uh, keeps everybody hungry and, and, and wanting to, to do, do more. All right. And Dylan, this last one, this one's kind of an open book. You can take it wherever you want, but Really, the, the gist of the question is, how do you let go? Whether it's a celebration or relaxation, getting away, what's the thing you do? You know, you come back this year, have a great season, it's all over at the end, and you just want to decompress and kind of to sit in it and enjoy what you've done or enjoy the hard work, or maybe it's to get away from the stress at the end. What is it that you, is it go fishing? Is it have a great dinner with with the family? Is it take a trip? Is it like a, a show on Netflix? What is it that you do to, to get away from it all? Yeah, you kind of answered it for me, man. Uh, getting together with family. I love getting together with family when I, when I get back in town, because I don't really get to see a lot of my family for most of the season. Uh, so getting with them and just kind of kicking it, uh, having good conversation, laughing. Um, and then obviously getting out on the golf course. That's kind of one of the first things 
I did when I got back is booking some tee times because, you know, up in Cleveland for seven, eight months, I don't really get to play a lot of golf because it's cold up there. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of my go to. Um, and then, yeah, like any outdoor activities, I just like to be outside going to the pool um, and then at night just relaxing and watching a good show, good movie. That's kind of what I like to do. Nice, nice. Well, well, Dylan, we appreciate the time. Hopefully this was a halfway decent conversation. Yeah, I certainly enjoyed it. I, I hope a lot of Belmont fans do as well, basketball fans in general. And uh, man, stay healthy this summer. Get back out there. We can't wait to watch you in the fall. I appreciate it, man. Always.